If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Welcome to CBS This Morning. We begin with this, what appears to be a major shift in the Trump administration's approach to the coronavirus by setting up a new group to focus on reopening the country. Now, President Trump made his first trip away from the Washington area in weeks and toured a face mask factory in Arizona. He and, top, he and rather top company executives did not wear one, even though most of the workers there did have one on. Now the president says he's looking at winding down the coronavirus task force. That includes his top medical advisors. Meanwhile, a whistleblower is accusing the administration of ignoring early warning signs and downplaying the virus threat. Paula Reed is at the White House for us. Paula, good morning. The president is openly acknowledging that more American lives could be lost as the country reopens economically. So timing-wise, why dissolve the task force in the near future? A good morning, Tony. The president's announcement appeared to take some task force members by surprise. Shortly after the vice president told reporters that he was having conversations about winding down the group's work, we reached out to one of the most prominent members of that task force, Dr. Anthony Fauci. He told CBS News he had heard no such thing. The task force has done a phenomenal job. As he toured a mask production facility in Arizona, President Trump suggested his coronavirus task force of medical experts may be dissolved as the White House shifts its focus from saving lives to reopening the economy. We're now looking at a little bit of a different form, and that form is safety and opening, and we'll... Uh, We'll have a different group probably set up for that. The move to disband the task force comes as some coronavirus models predict deaths will increase in the coming weeks as areas around the country begin to reopen. But President Trump dismissed those dire predictions. It's a report with no mitigation. Frankly, when the people report back, they're going to be social distancing and they're going to be washing their hands and they're going to be doing the things that you're supposed to do. But the models do take mitigation into account and are based on the relaxing of social distancing that the president has been calling for. President Trump continued to praise his own response to the pandemic while trying to shift blame to President Obama. Don't forget, the cupboard was bare. The other administration, the last administration, left us nothing. Pressed on why he didn't do more to prepare, the president said he was busy. Well, I'll be honest, uh, I have a lot of things going on. Uh, we had a lot of uh, people that refused to allow the country to be successful. Uh, they wasted a lot of time on Russia, Russia, Russia. That turned out to be a total hoax. But one government doctor, Rick Bright, said he tried to raise alarms about the pandemic back in January and was ignored. Bright filed an extensive whistleblower complaint alleging that he told his superiors that the U.S. was woefully short on N95 masks and suggested putting together a disaster leadership group to address the pandemic. 
In the complaint, Bright alleges HHS official Dr. Robert Kaldick suggested it was appropriate, but he was not sure if that is a time-sensitive urgency. Bright's lawyer, Deborah Katz, spoke to CBS News. The administration was very uh, intent on providing good news and in sugarcoating how devastating this virus going to, was going to be. Bright says he was moved to another department after he resisted pressure to widely promote hydroxychloroquine, an anti-malaria drug championed by President Trump. He said he was concerned that HHS actions would seriously harm or even kill members of the American public. Bright also alleges that since 2017, he was pressured to steer government contracts to companies with ties to the Trump administration. And we've reached out to the administration for its reaction to those allegations. But so far, they've only said that Dr. Bright was transferred to a role that now focuses on testing and that they're disappointed he hasn't shown up for his new job. Anthony. Paula Reed at the White House. Thank you, Paula. Across the country, we're still seeing an overall increase in reported coronavirus cases. But so far, 43 states have partially lifted restrictions introduced to fight the pandemic. Our lead national correspondent, David Begno, is in New York City. David, are things getting better here? They are, Anthony. In fact, the number of deaths and hospitalizations have been on a steady decline for most of the last month. But I have to tell you, signs of the virus's devastation are still very real. Even if you can't see it personally, here's how glaring it still is. This is a stark reminder of the dangers of COVID-19. A hearse arriving at a Brooklyn parking lot. It is lined with refrigerator trucks that hold the bodies of overcrowded morgues. More than 25,000 people have died in the state of New York alone. The faster re we reopen, the lower the economic cost, but the higher the human cost, because the more lives lost. That decision is one governors in every state are grappling with. And one President Trump was asked about Tuesday in an interview with ABC News. Do you believe that's the reality we're facing, that, that lives will be lost to reopen the country? It's possible there will be some because you won't be locked into an apartment or a, or a house or whatever it is. But at the same time, we're going to practice social distancing. Open Texas now! The state of Texas might be the next major test. Governor Greg Abbott is moving forward with plans to reopen non-essential businesses like hair salons and barbershops. That'll happen Friday, even though he acknowledges the potential danger. As a society does begin to open up again, it could lead to increased infections. Are you going to close? No. Some Texans continue to resist the state's social distancing guidelines. Dallas salon owner Shelley Luther is going to spend the next seven days in jail for illegally opening up her shop last week after several warnings not to. In Michigan, new surveillance video shows a man wiping his face on the shirt of a Dollar Tree employee after she asked him to wear a mask in the store. Also in that state, authorities are still on the hunt for two men charged with killing a security guard, Calvin Munnerlin, inside of a family dollar in Flint, Michigan last Friday. Police say Munnerlin had simply told a customer's daughter she had to wear a mask to enter the store. Matrina Sims Munnerlin was Calvin's wife of 10 years. Tell us about your husband. My husband was a devoted family man. He did a lot for the community. He did a lot for teenage boys, troubled teenage kids. 
but the biggest thing that he was was a father, a great father. 43-year-old Calvin Munnerlin had eight children. We also spoke to his mother, Bernadette, who called him extraordinary. He was an awesome dad and an awesome son, and I'm going to miss him. We can tell you now that one of the suspects is in custody, but I don't want to end on the suspects, so let me tell you more about Mr. Munnerlin. His nickname was Duper, and apparently he was so involved in the community, his wife tells us that one of the schools decided to change the name of their Parent of the Year Award. They're going to call it the Super Duper Parent Award now. Tony, as I toss it back to you, it's unfathomable that that man died because he simply told someone they had to wear a mask. That is true, David. We can do better than this as a country. Thank you for that report. As the reported death toll in this country from the coronavirus soars past 71,000, new human trials for a possible vaccine are underway. Our David Agus joins us now from Los Angeles with more. Dr. Agus, good morning. So Pfizer is one of the companies involved in these trials beginning here in the United States. The method they're using has never brought a vaccine to market successfully. So how promising is it? They're using what we call an RNA vaccine. So it's not a piece of the virus that's classically used. It's actually the instructions for the virus or RNA, and they're injected. And then the body, the human body, makes the protein, and an immune response attacks the protein and hopefully prevents the virus. Pfizer is being clever. Is they're taking four parts of the spike protein and putting that into four separate vaccines. So four shots on goal in the beginning in several hundred patients to see if you can make a good enough immune response to go to a much larger trial to hopefully prevent the virus. All right, four shots on goal. I like the sound of that. The timetable for this vaccine is as soon as the fall. That's possible. What needs to happen for that to get done? How likely is it? Well, Tony, every step has to work. Um, so initially, one of those four have to give a good enough immune response that it can provide immunity. And once you have that, then it can be expanded to say, does it really prevent the virus from getting in? Each of those take time to do. This is an RNA vaccine, so it's easier and cheaper to scale and make than a classic vaccine. But as you mentioned, it's never been FDA approved a type of this vaccine. So it's a little bit new. And so we're going on new ground here, but there's certainly hope and potential as there is with several other vaccine candidates. I pray that one, maybe two, maybe three of them will work and we'll have them in the fall or in December or in January anytime as soon as possible. Yeah, when people hear about an accelerated timetable and, and new methods, there can be some worries. Uh, so what are the risks of moving forward in this way? And I guess to sharpen the question, how do those risks compare to the risk of not having a vaccine at all? Well, not having a vaccine means we have a continued death rate in this country, which is unacceptable. Um, vaccines historically have been safe, and we're doing the safety studies now. Some steps were skipped with some of the vaccines in animal work. Others had years of animal work to get the, the, the vaccine itself ready. And so each one of them have different safety work done and will have going forward. There is no way a vaccine is going forward into patients in large scale unless it's proven safe. And so I hope that this works. You know, the big variable to me is, will the immune response be strong enough to prevent the virus? And we should know that for some of the vaccines in the middle of June. All right, David, quickly, I want to get your reaction to a troubling headline, some emerging research suggesting that there might be a mutated strain of the coronavirus, particularly here on the East Coast, that is more infectious and more aggressive. What's your reaction to that research? 
Unfortunately, it got more headlines than it should have. There are multiple strains of the virus, um, about 30 in total. This was a strain that became a dominant strain starting in February in Italy and then kind of moved to the rest of the world. The researchers in a not yet reviewed manuscript said, well, it's more infectious, which is why it became dominant. There's no real evidence of that. There's no evidence that the DNA changes, which always happen in viruses, that the DNA changes will change response to drugs or vaccines at the present time. So at the present time, it's an observation. All right. Not yet peer reviewed. Important to note. David, thank you very much. Anthony, over to you. All right. Thank you both. The Supreme Court hears more arguments over the phone this morning with Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg participating from a Baltimore hospital. A spokeswoman says Ginsburg was admitted for non-surgical treatment of a benign gallbladder condition. The court's oldest justice, she's 87, has been treated four times for cancer in the past. She expects to leave the hospital later this week. We're all pulling for Justice Ginsburg today. In Georgia, a district attorney will ask a grand jury to consider charges against two white men who chased and killed a black man who was not armed. More than 100 people protested in Brunswick, Georgia last night after a video emerged showing the shooting death of 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery. More than two months ago is when the shooting happened. The two other men say it was self-defense. Omar Villafranca has a video, and we have to warn you ahead of time, it is disturbing. This cell phone video captures the final moments of Ahmad Arbery's life while he was jogging through his Brunswick, Georgia neighborhood. The witness is recording the moment Arbery was confronted by Gregory McMichael and his son Travis, who shot Arbery twice with a shotgun. What do you hope this video proves? Proves that my son was not committing a crime. He was out for his daily jog and he was hunted down like an animal and killed. Arbery's mother, Wanda Cooper Jones, says she has not seen the video because it is just too painful to watch. Is it something you plan to watch? It's gonna take some time. It won't be today or tomorrow. It may not be in months. The graphic video shows Travis McMichael, who appears to be standing outside the park truck, and Arbery struggling over what looks to be a shotgun. Gunshots can be heard on the video within a few moments of each other. Arbery is seen trying to run away before falling to the ground. According to the police report, Gregory McMichael told investigators he thought Arbery was a burglary suspect and ordered him to stop. McMichael then said Arbery violently attacked his son Travis. The prosecutor, who previously had the case, says Travis acted out of self-defense and within the scope of Georgia's citizen arrest statute. Marcus Arbery says his son was not a criminal and was just out for his usual jog around his own neighborhood. Because he loved to stay in shape. He stayed a street over from where he got killed. Greg McMichael is a former law enforcement officer who used to work for the local DA. Due to conflicts of interest, the case is now on its third prosecutor who says he will convene a grand jury once the coronavirus pandemic is over. So Lee Merritt is one of the attorneys who represents uh, Arbery's family. After seeing this video, law enforcement has no other choice. They need to go out and make an arrest today. Fellow Arbery family attorney Ben Crump says this shooting bears some similarities to another one of his cases from 2012, Trayvon Martin. This killing was completely unnecessary and unjustified. And like so many people advocated in Trayvon Martin's case, 
People should not try to take the law into their own hands. It's worth noting a Florida jury acquitted Trayvon Martin's uh, killer, George Zimmerman, of murder. And Florida's laws are different than Georgia's laws. Now, we reached out to the McMichael family. They did not want to talk. Also, the FBI says they are aware of the case and they have been briefed. Gail? Omar, once again, the video tells a very different story from the story that we were told initially. Very glad that the video exists. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the CBS This Morning podcast. Be sure to subscribe to get your morning news in under 20 minutes and daily podcast originals. You can watch the CBS This Morning broadcast Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. on your local CBS station or live on the CBS All Access app. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. Because, once again, Mr. Ballin' Podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ballin' Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple fail to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them, but after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Do you ever feel like there's nothing new in the news? You know there are urgent things happening in the world around you, but all you hear is noise. That's why we made What Next. Our goal is to tell you the stories you haven't heard before, or maybe a different side to the story you thought you already knew all about. I'm Mary Harris, the host of What Next. And I love my job because it helps me cut through the noise of the news. And then I get to bring it to you. Together, we can figure out what next.